Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Good to be back with you tonight. I had a nice time uh, this morning with the College Chapel and a fine group of young people there. It's a blessing to be with them and their professors. And so good to be back with you. Thanks for coming out tonight. And I trust the Lord will speak to our hearts. Thank you, Brother Roger, for that tremendous presentation. And uh, it's a little wet down in Puerto Rico right now. So I know we want to pray for the good folk there with the hurricane. I think it was more the water than the winds this time, right? So uh, a lot of folks in distress and in, uh, without power and floods. And so uh, let's uh, remember the good people there. Um, Saturday night at the college banquet, I spoke on the topic, A Life Worth Living. So I might say that the key idea at the starting Saturday night was to, was to live, was to live your life for Christ. And then Sunday morning we, we talked about that God's work is teamwork. And so the point really was to, to join the team, to get active, and to realize that we're working together for the advance of the gospel. And then we spoke last night on uh, use your gifts for the glory of God. And the emphasis was really on serving. Simple two verses from 1 Peter chapter 4 on the speaking and serving gifts. And so our gifts will surface as we serve. And then all of this is used not only locally, but then uh, abroad as well. So, so live, join, serve, and then if I had a big word on tonight's message, it would be the word pray, pray. The vital role of prayer in missions, the vital role of prayer in ministry. I'd like to invite you to turn for a starting point tonight to familiar mission conference verses in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Matthew 9 and verse 36. This says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So biblical ministry, biblical missions, really begins with a, a vision. It begins with envisioning something that at that point is only really an idea. It's, uh, it's something that comes from God. It comes through the heart of a burdened, concerned person or a group of people. I had the privilege in college to be roommates with a, a, a couple, a number of fine young men, but uh, one of them, you might even know his name, uh, an MGM missionary, uh, Ron Cochran, his wife Jackie. 
Ron and I were roommates in college, and now for a generation, Ron and Jackie have been down in Hermosillo, Mexico, uh, pastoring, helping with a Bible college, and I was down a few years ago and spoke there to the to a number of pastors that they had gathered together, and now these many years later, some 40 or more years later, after serving as a roommate with Brother Ron, here God took this genuine guy from Michigan and has multiplied the gospel in that part of northern Mexico, along with many others that have labored with him in that place. That's a tremendous blessing to an old guy to go see his own roommate and see what God has done. Some years ago, I visited another roommate, Mike Green. Mike is married to to Tammy, and they have a wonderful uh, family of children, almost all of whom have joined them in one way or another back in, in Brazil for ministry. Uh, Mike and Tammy have ministered in Porto Alegre, Brazil for many years. And back in the day, they had a, a little Bible college, a Bible institute, and they had me come down and speak to their students. And, and then he would take me out in the, I'd call it the bush or the, the brush or whatever, out, out away from the main city and just let me see new churches that have been planted in what God has done. On that trip, I went by Sao Paulo and had a long delay in the airport and a planned delay. And so my, my missionary friend back from college days, Graham Forn, a great missionary, virtually a missionary statesman with Baptist uh, mid-missions. Uh, Graham picked me up at the airport, uh, took me around, showed me a church or two of the number of churches that he and his wife, Renee, have had a part in planning over the years. And... Um, and that was a special treat, just to see what God is doing. Uh, last summer, I had the privilege to be with uh, Dr. David Cortez and his son, uh, Pastor David Cortez, assistant pastor there at the, uh, I believe it's the Church of the Open Door, if I recall, the name of it in Tijuana, and they had a pastor's enrichment conference. And about 50 pastors from all around that region in, in, uh, of, of Mexico came and it was a great honor and privilege to see firsthand what God has done there over a generation and to hear uh, the vision that younger David now has for the future. Just sharing a word about that with Dr. Shoemate here before the service. So this is how ministry goes forward. God puts on a man's heart or a man and woman's heart or a group of people that there needs to be a gospel preaching ministry or ministries in a, in a given region. And, and then God cultivates that, that vision in their heart as, as they seek him and pray and share that need with other people, like other people right here in this congregation, who have a vision and burden, not only for what God is doing locally, but what God is doing internationally. And it's very important for us as, as Americans, most of us, I assume, are Americans. We, we may not fully realize because we sometimes have our struggles with our own economy and our own personal expenses and our lives. And we see things happening here at home that greatly concern us. But it's very good for us to lift up our eyes and look on other fields. There's nothing quite like going abroad, especially to some places abroad, 
to make you much more greatly appreciate what you have here. I don't mean to be offensive in what I'm saying here. I, I know sometimes you, sometimes you don't know how a person might take what I'm saying. I just hope you'll trust that I mean well. But even last summer, having really enjoyed a week in beautiful Tijuana and having gotten out with my host uh, to see churches on the hills of Tijuana. And the, it's, it's neat. They say unemployment in Tijuana is, is virtually non-existent. Everybody pretty much can have a job. It's a productive area. But Tijuana looks different than Greenville, South Carolina looks, okay? And they tell me the squatters will come in, if that's the right expression, Brother Dave, the, the people that come in, uh, poor people without anything, and they'll just go in and put up uh, 10 buildings and live in them. And perhaps eventually the, the facilities, the utilities will be uh, brought to their area. And so they're living, many of them, in dire poverty as they seek employment and, and all. You know, you, you're around that. Those homes are mixed together with lovely homes. And these men there have built beautiful churches and are ministering faithfully in those needy communities. And then, and then you go back across the border. And I remember coming back last summer into the into San Diego area and looking at the hills of San Diego. And what a, what a contrast as far as material things go. Sometimes we can get a little, you know, concerned that people are wanting to come over here. It's not really hard to understand. If you get down in Latin America and you go to the, to the areas of great need, it's not really hard to understand why people are putting their lives at risk to come. I'm not talking politically. I'm not talking legal issues here. I'm just talking about, folks, we have it very good in our nation. Most of us don't even have a clue how good we have it. And it's easy when you come back through customs, if you've traveled internationally, to just let your mind readjust, and now you're back where everything is pretty nice. But most of the world do not only enjoy the material things that we have, but they, they do not have access to the spiritual things that we enjoy, which are far more important. And so at a missions conference like this, it's, it's important for us to have some vision cast, some vision renewed, and undergirding all of that is the vital role of prayer in ministry. At the end of his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ in the various Great Commission passages cast that vision. It's expressed in different ways in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the first chapter of the book of Acts. And I would just like at this conference to review for a moment what Jesus did when he cast the Great Commission vision. Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He had said all authority, all power was given unto him in heaven and in earth. And so the risen Lord Jesus Christ 
commission there was to go and make disciples of all nations. It had to do with the activity of disciple making. Mark chapter 10 and verse 15, and he said, Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This has to do with the evangelistic burden to preach the gospel and the breadth that every person should have an opportunity to hear the gospel. I tell my church planners that we ought to give every person in our community an opportunity for the good hearing of the gospel. You can't make people listen, but we ought to give them every opportunity to hear the gospel over the course of a church's effort to evangelize a community. In the gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus said, uh, speaking of the message, he said, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. It's a message of repentance. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message found as people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's a message that was to be proclaimed beginning geographically in Jerusalem. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. John's gospel is a little different, as you know, from the three synoptic gospels. I like to think of John 15, 16 as being the giving of the Great Commission there, where Jesus says, pre-crucifixion giving, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that's whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you, the verse continues. In John 20 and 21, after his resurrection, he simply says, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You come to the opening chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus now is alive. He's about to ascend to be back with his Father in heaven. And the giving of the Great Commission there, uh, he, he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth, which is actually the geographical outline of the book of Acts, as you know. And it's, it's letting us know that out from Jerusalem, uh, out into the surrounding, we might call it the county, Judea, the province, and north of there into Samaria, but not that far away, to a mixed group of people, the gospel would go. And that's what Jesus had done several times in his earthly ministry. He had seen many Samaritans come to Christ there in John chapter 4. Uh, the, James and John wanted to call down fire on the village in Samaria that had not prepared for Christ's coming. And, he, and, and Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. That's a good premonition that God had uh, intentions, good intentions for Samaria. And I'm sure the Jewish apostles, when they heard Jesus give this great commission that it would go to the S Samaria, I'm, I'm sure sometimes they were kind of shocked that Samaria would be included. They were, uh, they came out of all that Jewish prejudice, but they'd seen Christ be willing to be a shepherd to all people. And, and indeed in Acts chapter eight, the gospel goes to Samaria in earnest. There's a geographical spread. The gospel, the book of Acts is such a phenomenal book of the first 30 years, the unfolding of the Great Commission being fulfilled, being fulfilled all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And it virtually ends on this note. Acts 28, verse 28. 
And be it known unto you, therefore, that the salvation of God is come to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. You understand, I believe the canon is closed, but there's a sense in which the book of Acts has never ended. And here we are, 2,000 years later, earnest believers concerned about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have tremendous advantages in our day. We as Americans have a little blue thing we call passports. And we have access to very, very many regions in this area, in this world. We have something called planes and jets. And do you realize you can be almost anywhere in the world that has a runway long enough for a plane, a big plane, you can be almost anywhere in the world in 24 hours, certainly within 36 hours. And while we may look at it as being expensive to do that, actually it's well within the average man's ability financially to be anywhere in the world he or she wants to be within a day's journey. Isn't that an amazing thing? We have something that most of us have in our pocket or purses that would enable us to communicate. If we had the right apps, we could communicate with virtually anyone we wanted to in the world with a text and have it back in a matter of seconds. That is amazing. That's a great tool for the gospel. Now, to be honest with you, I call these things the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And mine actually, if it didn't have the case, you could see it has an apple with a bite out of it in the back, okay? So it's a tremendous tool. Our technology in general is a tremendous tool for spiritual things, for the spread of the gospel, but it is also a resource of enormous evil and it has to be handled with great care, great caution and care. So we have great advantages. We have the advantage of education. I could go on and on. But the Bible says, Jesus says, Without me, ye can do nothing. But he also says, with God, all things are possible. The spiritual advance of the gospel in the evangelizing of the lost and in the discipling of those who come to Christ they're being baptized and gathered into assemblies where they will be further discipled and taught, where the people of God will gather together and genuinely worship God from their hearts by means appropriate to the person and character of God. That all is a great spiritual endeavor and it cannot be done merely because we have advantages. Are you with me? It's going to take spiritual power. And I have a conviction that the cause of Christ 
is advanced primarily through prayer and preaching. I get this from Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. They were, they were busy. The church was growing. The apostles were overwhelmed, it seems, with food care, which is a good thing, food service. The widows were complaining. There's a lot of people needed food, apparently. But they made a point. They gathered, they gathered some deacons. We call them deacons, early deacons likely, and got some people in charge of that food service. Very important thing. The material needs of people. But the apostles said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There's nothing wrong with cooking food. I, I like it when people cook food. There's nothing wrong with humble service on a number of fronts. And we've been talking about that in the diversity of gifts that are needed. But everyone can advance the gospel through prayer. And I'm saying tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that, sir, you need to be a man of prayer. Ma'am, you need to be a woman of prayer. Boys and girls, young people, young adults, college students, seminary students, young adults carving out your, your career in life and beginning to give yourself wholeheartedly to that. I'm talking to some, some mamas and some daddies who are busy raising children. We've been through those years. I'm talking about some parents who are watching their kids start to leave the home. I'm, I'm talking to some folks whose kids left their home a long time ago and you're seeing your, grandparents, your grandchildren get, uh, come of age now. There's some people in this room probably that are great-grandparents and more power to you. I, I think that's great. May you be one day great-great-grandparents if the Lord tarries. But whatever your status and station in life, whatever your age, whatever your interest may be, every last person who is a part of Tri-City Baptist Church or a guest here tonight, if you know the Lord, you and I should be people of prayer. And one of the things that we should be praying for, among many things we can be praying for, is that the Lord of harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest fields. You look here at our text for a moment, we see here that, that it is prayer that launches ministry. When the Son of God himself saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And what he did when he saw this dire situation, he says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he wanted them, he said, to pray in turn that the Lord of harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. It's so interesting that while Christ himself could have personally done that, he implored his disciples to pray to the end that God would send forth labors. Let me share how I do my prayer life, my intercessory prayer life, just in very summary form. There are many ways to do this. Some of you have 
probably very sophisticated and uh, very effective prayer lives. This is not trying to set forth any particular model. I'm just saying this is what God has put on my heart over the years to do. This is bigger than just praying for missionaries, but I'm, I just want to re- say. Sundays, let me, let me pause and say this. Every day, I pray for my family by name first. All the kids, their spouses and grandkids, and my wife is the first person I pray for. And I'm sure I'm the first person she prays for and probably the person she prays for the most. I have never peeked at my wife's prayer list because I got a feeling it's a long list of things that I need help with, okay? My, my wife is a woman of prayer. I love my wife, Ellen. I know she's a godly woman and a, and a woman of prayer. And so I pray for Ellen. Once I praise the Lord and get my heart in tune with the Lord and ask God to cleanse my heart, I'm gonna pray for Ellen. And then I'm gonna pray for Brandon and I'm gonna pray for Melissa and Graham and our twin granddaughters who are three, Clara and Jane and our son Shane. And and then I'm I'm gonna pray for Kelly and Daniel and Kaya Kip and Dax and Karis and Matthew and my mom and Ellen's mom. That's gonna be every day. And that's first and foremost. Pray, pray for the family. On on Sundays, I pray for preachers. I pray for for pastors particularly. I pray for evangelists on Sundays. It is such a privilege to pray for pastors. I've spent my whole life pouring myself into preparing men for ministry. I've been in many of the churches of the men that I pray for. There's nothing quite like having a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist look you in the eyes with a certain look and they just says, pray for me. I don't have to ask any questions. I don't need to know anything confidential going on in their lives. But when I get that look, I know that person needs prayer. What a privilege to pray for preachers. A lot of you know probably a lot of preachers. If you don't regularly pray, not only for your pastor and pastoral staff, and by the way, Brother Ken, this is a major event for me. I, from, from here on out, I'll be praying. I pray for you. As, he's the fourth preacher I pray for every Sunday. I pray for our two pastors of our church, Dr. Bob, and you're next on the list, okay? So you're pretty high up on my list of preachers, Brother Ken. And I know you need it, so that's why you get it there you know, as well. I pray for him on my family day, too. We, I, I, pray for, I pray for family on, uh, I pray for family on Mondays as a folk, the extended family. And certainly Ken and Judy and their kids and, and, and family and, and so on. All, all the, try to pray for all the grandkids uh, as a group. And so it's, it's a privilege. Pray, pray for family on Mondays. But Tuesday, I pray for my friends. I have about 15 ministry friends that are just really special to me. And so Tuesdays, I pray for those men. Mark Minnick, Steve Hankins, Tony Miller, Jim Berg, Ken Endine, Mike Harding, Chuck Phelps, Roy Short, Eric Seip, right down the list of guys, Greg Rogers, Gary Reamers, guys like this. Some of you know some of those names. When I was a teenager, I knew I needed to clean up my friends. If I was going to live for Christ, I had to make some choices. I I knew it meant making new friends. I didn't know if I would ever have any friends once I was going God's way. Oh, man, do I have friends. 
On Wednesdays, I pray for missionaries. And here's my point on that. There's a lot of missionaries, probably 100 missionary, missionary families. And at the top of the list, I put laborers. If you're not consciously praying for laborers, let me encourage you somewhere in your prayer life, pray this prayer. Oh God, send forth labors. I preached on this in a big way last time I was here. We talked about the coming shortage of labors, the coming shortage of pastors, missionaries, and so on. It's getting desperate, my friends. We're about to have an avalanche of churches whose pastors are dying, retiring, aging out, missionaries the same way. From an American perspective, there is a very urgent need for labors. Please join in praying for laborers to be raised up. On Thursdays, I pray for our government leaders. I start with President Biden, Vice President Harris. I go to some of the administrative officials, some of the key people, six or eight of those. I pray for each of the Supreme Court justices by name. I pray for our congressmen. I pray for our senators from our state. I, I, I just work down through state and local leaders, our mayor, city council, county council. I pray for chaplains. I pray for military chaplains on that day. We need to pray for our nation, don't we? need to pray for our nation. It's one thing to not, there's been many times when I've prayed for political leaders that I have full disgust for. But God says, first of all, I exhort you to pray for those who are in authority that we may live a, a life of quietness and peaceableness and godliness that the gospel may spread. So pray for people you don't actually care for sometimes and actually don't even want to see. And I don't mean to be res- disrespectful in saying any of that. We need to pray for the people that are in authority. They, they carry heavy loads. On Fridays, and you'll have to understand where I'm coming from, on Fridays, I pray for about 100 people related to the ministry of Bob Jones University. All the way down through the administrators, the names of the board members of the university. Many of my colleagues that I've served with for a lifetime, especially the Bible and seminary faculty and and many others that work in all the different capacities. And then I add on to that the leaders of other Christian colleges around our country. Nathan Messler is high on my list. Dave Shoemate is on my list. I pray for some people that I might not actually, you know, be on the same page with them. But I find if I pray for people over time, I learn to love those people. And when I see those people and I'm around their ministry or I'm connected to them in some way, it's really nice to be able to say to them in a genuine way, I'm praying for you. You don't have to agree with everybody that you pray pray for. You with me? Saturdays is a day I pray for things related to our local church. I pray for our pastor. I'll pull out the Wednesday night prayer list. Sometimes I'll look at our list of uh, families in our church and pray for them. I pray for church planners, a lot of church planners. Once a church planner, always a church planner. I pray for church planners. On Saturday. I pray for our community, different aspects of our community. I pray for our GFA people on Saturdays. I pray for our neighbors, my name, on Saturday. Uh, I, I, that's, that's how I do it. That's, that's basically my prayer routine on the intercessory side. I have a very long way to go. My prayer life is not a model prayer life. 
We all know that our prayer life comes short of being all that it ought to be. I know that sometimes even praying for all those people, it can be like praying a rosary bead. Just kind of go through the name like that, you know, and you got to watch that, right? You got to be creative. You got to be thoughtful. You got to be engaged. You got to get enough sleep to be able to get up and spend some time in prayer. But the older I get, the more that I just don't want to rush out into a day of work. I want to spend, spend plenty of time with the word of God and in prayer. And so prayer is that which launches ministry. Prayer affects all aspects of ministry. I look at the book of Acts and I see an expression occurring over and over again about the prayer life of the early church. I'm going to run through a series of verses from the book of Acts that underscores that prayer must permeate all aspects of ministry. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that these all, this is 120 people meeting in some type of upper room. And for 10 days, it says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. They were praying. Jesus had just ascended to go back into heaven. They prayed in connection with the selection of Matthias to replace Judas. Verse 24 of chapter 1, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. They prayed about leadership choices. In chapter 2, in verse 42, a very important verse about the early summary of activities in the early church, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 4.31, now they're facing persecution. An eloquent prayer had just been prayed, and it said when they had prayed, the place where they assembled uh, was uh, assembled together, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts 6, 4 that I quoted earlier, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts 6, 6, when they chose those early deacons, those seven men of honest report, they set them before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid their hands on them. When Peter raised Dorcas uh, from the dead, as it were, Peter put them all forth, put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. In Acts chapter 12, in verse 5, almost humorously here, it says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but, the, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Of course, you know, when he knocked at the door and Rhoda answered it, you know, it was like nobody could believe prayer had been answered. So that's what was kind of humorous about this. But they were praying for dear Peter and God answered their prayers. When they sent out Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas from Antioch of Syria, it says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And when they ordained elders in Acts 14, 23, it says, when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. 
And in Acts 16, 25, when Paul and Silas were, were there at midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And in Acts 20 and verse 36, when Paul said goodbye to the Ephesian elders, it says when he had thus spoken, he knelt down, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. Don't you get the impression that the early church was permeated with the ministry of prayer? And so it is so important for us to understand then the vital role of prayer in ministry. I'm almost done here. Is my time good? Am I okay? All right? Okay. It says 1957 back there, and that was three years after I was born. So I'm, I'm understanding military time here a little bit, but all right. Prayer sustains the spiritual nature of ministry and particularly missions. How is it then that we should pray for ministry? How is it that we should pray for ministers and missionaries? I mentioned earlier about when someone comes up to me and just says, would you pray for me? Would you pray for our family?" This actually is a biblical prayer. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 25. He just simply says in that long list of kind of staccato commands, he just says it this way. He says, brethren, pray for us. To me, that is pregnant with meaning. Brethren, pray for us. Missions is often pioneer work. That's actually why we call it missions. There's a need for the gospel to go to a yet unreached area. There's either not a gospel preaching church or not enough gospel preaching churches to reach the people and disciple the people in a given area. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. He said that he desired to preach the gospel, to preach Christ in the regions beyond. In Romans chapter 15 in verse 20, he says, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation." He speaks about there preaching the gospel. He says, around about unto Illyricum. Illyricum is modern day, essentially Albania. Just last week, I was at the Fellowship of Missions meeting at the Wilds Christian Camp, where a gentleman shared how he and a team of people have been using Uh, education as a tool to reach Albanians. I taught a young man in high school named David Hasafluk in a little preaching class there. David came out of Fairfax Baptist Temple, Dr. Bud Calvert, years ago. Came off to Bob Jones Academy as a, really as a boy. And he's, he's in this little preaching class of mine. David went through college. I don't think he did grad work at that time. And uh, 
He went off as a single young man to work in a, an orphanage type ministry in Albania. Albania had just reopened. It was the most atheistic country in the world at the time. I think he was one of the first 100 missionaries to go into Albania. He met a sweet girl eventually named Christy and they got married and now today they have both their own children and I think they've adopted some. I think they have six. And David Hasefluk and Christy have faithfully served now in Albania for their, their entire adult life. And what strikes me is that I know somebody that did in his day what Paul did in his day and he preached the gospel round about unto Illyricum and David through, I don't have time or the ability probably to describe all that he has done, but David is a very highly respected uh, scholar today in Albania and he has used his scholarly skills to explain the history of religion to Albanians in a way that is winsome and getting the attention of people in that part of the world. There's a sense in which I believe that God has his people everywhere. Maybe not absolutely everywhere, but he has his people in so many places that we sometimes are not aware of, and they're there, and they need prayer to be effective in getting the gospel to their people in their area. So how do we pray? Well, Paul expands on his idea of prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, when he says this, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So we pray for progress. You can do that. Pray for gospel progress. Pray that the word of the Lord will run and have free course. You know, you don't have to have political liberty for the gospel to run and have free course. I've had the privilege several times to uh, take a week and pour my life into uh, unregistered uh, Chinese church leaders. They call themselves co-workers. They, they don't like it's my understanding, at least, that they, they don't really like to use that word pastor because they don't like it to sound like they, they're over other people. They group think, you know, co-workers is how they like to say it. I've done that three times over the years in an offshore location where Chinese people could come and uh, leaders would go in and recruit men at some risk to come offshore and then they would be trained for six months to a year. There's nothing quite like looking into the faces of the persecuted. On one occasion, I got to go into China itself, down into the heart of China. They let me go into a, uh, a town and 
a very, really a, a large group of people were assembled there. They were living in this building. They would not let me go outside the building. I, I didn't look too Chinese and they weren't trying to draw attention uh, to, to this guy and to trouble and so on. And so I, it had to be done very carefully. One time I was teaching Chinese pastors and talking about church planning. And I, I said to them, I said, are, are there enough churches? And I, I'm not sure exactly how to read all of this, but they did not want to answer my question. And I didn't know if maybe there was an informant in the group. I, I didn't know how to take it. And I finally, I finally milked it out of them. Yes, there are enough churches. Because they can only get so large until they're illegal. And so to stay legal and to stay under the radar, they had to stay small. So it was kind of like when I was a little boy walking through those Alabama woods and I'd step on those brown puffballs. And I would think I'm getting rid of those things, but I was spreading the spores and creating more puffballs, whatever their scientific name would be. And that's how God uses persecution to spread the gospel. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in the modern era. And so throughout a surveillance state like China, where it's not only religion under surveillance, but it's everything under surveillance, here in spite of all odds, the word of the Lord is running and having free course. Now don't take me wrong because I understand now and particularly now things have really tightened up and people are suffering greatly there. Sometimes in India or in certain parts of India, as much persecution as is there, the gospel is running. And what's happening is these people are not looking to some of the means that we would be looking to. They're just looking to the basics of biblical ministry, like good old fashioned gospel preaching and good old fashioned Christian praying. Pray that the Word of God would have free course and be glorified. Pray for progress. Paul also says to pray for protection in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And so as we pray for the progress of the gospel, we realize that there's going to be a lot of opposition. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, I believe it is. He says, he says, there is a great door open unto me, but there are many, what, adversaries, right? Old Dr. Bob Sr., in his quaint way of putting things, he, he said it this way. He said, the doors of opportunity swing on the hinges of opposition. And so while we love our Lord and we love his word and we love his gospel and we love his people, there are plenty of people out there both at home and abroad who do not appreciate what we're doing. But God is able to protect us and God is able to help us to endure the persecution, be it present or be it coming. Pray for protection. And then in Ephesians 6 verse 18 among other things, we are to pray for boldness, boldness. Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto 
with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When I was a little boy, I used to run up to preachers after services and get them to sign my Bible. That was kind of the trend. It was, it was a fun thing to do. And lo and behold, Ian Paisley came to our church and the old Meta Hills Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, where I was as a elementary school student and junior high student. Dr. Paisley came. And if you've ever heard anybody preach, if you know this is the famous eventual first minister of Northern Ireland, this, this champion of the gospel in a needy land, courageous man had been imprisoned, uh, really highly regarded in, in, even in Baptist circles as a Presbyterian and greatly loved. And if anybody could ever thunder forth the scripture and thunder forth the gospel, it was Ian Paisley. But that day, I remember he signed my Bible with his life verses, Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, and pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I wouldn't really logically understand why somebody like that would ask me to pray for him to be bold. I would not understand why someone like the Apostle Paul, who had gone around the rim of the Mediterranean and planted churches and had taken on Jewish leaders and had taken on paganism directly and had carved out church plants all throughout those regions against great odds, why would Paul, now imprisoned in Rome, need prayer that he would be bold? So I conclude this, if, if Dr. Paisley and the Apostle Paul needed prayer for boldness, then so do I, and maybe so do you, right? And maybe so does Roger and Larry and Matthew and Sada. Maybe Sada, okay. She's pretty bold. Because we're just people and we can be intimidated. And we know we're weak in and of ourselves. So we need prayer. And your missionaries need prayer. And my friends need prayer. And I need prayer and you need prayer and we ought to be praying for one another. Finally, we should pray for opportunity. Colossians 4 and verse 3, with all praying for us, Paul says, that God would open a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. David Hossip, look, I've heard your pastor quote this several times. The one I got that expression from was David Hossifluk when he said, gospel ministry is just simple. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. Pray for opportunities. So in conclusion, I would say pray for laborers. Pray sincerely. Lord, what would you have me to do? 
pray for specific missionaries and pray biblical prayers for them. Pray that God would let you go and visit a mission field. Pray against all odds, even financial odds. You may go, I have no idea where I would get that kind of money. God owns it all. If he wants you to go, he'll provide a way for you to go. Pray for preachers. Pray for pastors. Pray for evangelists. Pray for youth pastors. Pray for your own church staff. Pray for them by name. Set up a day of a week where you pray for people in a category like that. If you don't already do it, have a day in your prayer life each week when you pray for missionaries and let that be an ever-expanding list of missionaries that you're praying for. Pray for your college students as they are pondering and preparing for God's will for their lives. Pray for them. Pray for missions. Pray for mission boards. Pray for other ministries. Pray for God to show you what you can do to be involved in worldwide evangelism and missions. Pray that God would send your children. Pray that God would send your grandchildren. Pray that God would send you. Pray. The vital role of prayer in missions and ministry. Let us pray. Let us pray. Lord, we confess this evening that without you that we can do nothing. Nothing that will actually produce in and of itself lasting spiritual fruit that will redound to your glory. But we are also thankful tonight that the reality is with God, all things are possible. That you are able to do more than we can ever imagine. And we have seen that born witness in lives and ministries in various places of what you have done. And now, oh God, we pray that in our day and in the coming days, we would see you do this again for your own namesake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.